man, so good to see all of you. You know, as, as we get started here, one, I just want to, I want to like, thank you all. I'm going to look into this and like, man, 34 screens with who knows how many people jumping in on a Wednesday night to do something called a deep dive into the scriptures. There's a lot of people that this sounds like the opposite of a good time for a Wednesday night. And uh, man, I'm just so, it makes me so proud of our church family. You know, there's this, this story in Acts 17. Uh, Paul goes from one town to the other. He goes from Thessalonica to Berea. And when he comes to Berea, he, the, Luke, who writes the book, makes a statement. He goes, now the Bereans were a more noble character than the Thessalonians because they loved the scriptures. And they loved to dive in. I just, I'm looking at our church right now going, man, we got a bunch of like noble Bereans in our church family that you want to take your Wednesday night to jump in and take a deeper dive into the scriptures of God. And um, man, I'm so honored that you would do that. And we're, we're excited. We, I think it's speak for us. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're both excited to jump in with this, in this with you. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and uh, actually once you pray, cause I'm going to talk a lot. So at the beginning, absolutely. So, once you pray for us. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Corey Barnett and uh you know, I think Aaron's a face you see a lot more than mine. So yeah, if you don't know Corey, Corey's one of our elders at Ethos, and uh, he and I have been excited about jumping in this material together. We we kind of nerd out on some of this stuff a lot just in our personal time. That's how nerdy we are. We just like to talk about it just for fun. So that's right. Yeah. So you want to pray for us? Let's do it. Lord, thank you so much for tonight and just uh, an expectation that you will speak through your word. I'm just reminded how you have exalted your name and your word above all things, that you are zealous for your own glory, that you are the one that discloses and reveals, and, uh, and, and you, you love to reveal yourself to us. And so we're asking tonight that you would uh, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened Mm-hmm. And that we that we might know the hope to which we have been called, the glorious inheritance you have in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe. Lord, that's 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 the the cry of our heart tonight, and even in this medium and and in this topic, we we uh, look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So you know, this week uh, on Sunday, we were looking at this idea of a promised family. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that together. Before we get there, I want to do just kind of a quick recap on where we've been. You know, we're in this series called The Gospel of the Kingdom. We, we, we stole that phrase. We ripped it off straight from Jesus. You know, Matthew 4 says that Jesus from then on began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And, you know, what we're trying to do is go back and go, what, what did that phrase mean to Jesus? What did it mean to his original hearers? And what we're doing is tracing the roots of this idea of the gospel of the kingdom. And we went all the way back to the beginning that first week, kind of said this idea that, man, it starts at creation, this picture of a God who's both a loving father and a powerful king. And what he does through creation and giving life to humanity and that just the goodness of who he is overflowing in, in creation. And then, you know, the next week we kind of tackled this idea of what has become, has come to be known as the fall this idea that, man, this perfect creation, something bad crept in. And so we named that. We said, hey, we, we have this hate-filled enemy. And so we looked at this hate-filled enemy that seeks to derail everything that the loving father and powerful king has sought out to do. This enemy comes in and just tries to 
sink its fangs into it, you know, and, and derail it. And we looked at that in Genesis 3. But then we said, man, right on the heels of the hate-filled enemy coming in, pun intended, I just, just realized that the heel bruised the heel, crushed that. Sorry. That's very good. Uh, Bible nerd joke. So, you know, right on the, right on the heels of the hate-filled enemy coming in, we, we hear this, this promise, this, uh, we, we call it a hope-filled promise in the series that, that there is coming a seed of Eve, an offspring of Eve. And there'll be enmity between the serpent and this offspring. And it says, uh, God says to the serpent, you will bruise his heel or strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And we're like, man, that's the hope-filled promise that there's coming an offspring of Eve, a human offspring is coming who will be wounded, who will be bruised, but who ultimately will crush the head of wickedness. And it stirs this longing in our hearts. And then, and then you know, then we kind of said, how is God going to fill this, fulfill this promise? So he said, well, he's a loving father, so he's going to do it through a promised family. And so this last week, we looked at the beginning of this promised family, and we started in Genesis 12, looked at Genesis 15, looked at Genesis 17, this story of this man, Abram, that God comes to, and he makes these promises. And before we start to outline the, the promises, I want to go back to uh, the, the hope-filled promise back in, in Genesis 3. Uh, the, what Brandon called in his sermon, it's that proto-evangelium. That's it's pulled from the, from the Greek. You know, it's that first gospel, the first good news of one who's going to be bruised, who will crush the head of evil. Corey, um, how do you see that, that Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, how do you see that functioning as a seed of hope for the Jewish people? Like what, what does that little moment in Genesis 3.15 do uh, for hope in, in the Jewish uh, nation? Right, immediately on the heels of, of, this, of the fall, um, you know, everything is being removed from Adam and Eve. You know, everything that was glorious and what God called very good is being really removed or yanked out from underneath them. Um, this intimacy with God, walking in the cool of the day, the beauty of the garden, you know, the, um, the, the dominion of, of, of the garden and, and this, this call to be co-laborers with God and, and um, you know, naming the animals and, and administering this, this planned kingdom um, in, without sin and without death. And, um, and that's being pulled out from uh, underneath them. But in the very moment, you know, God is telling them, but there's coming a day when there will be someone who, who fixes all of this. You know, there's going to be someone who uh, is going to crush the head of the one who, who, who led you into this. Um, and, and he's going to be bruised in the process. And, and from then on out, the faith, you know, we, we see later that, that, that righteousness, that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. We see from that very point, even before Abraham, that the very essence of faith is believing that there is a coming seed that's going to make everything right. And, um, and so you see shortly thereafter, um, you know, th this phrase, and they, be they, and they begin to call on the name of the Lord. Shortly after Genesis 3, right? Shortly yeah. after Genesis 3. You see, you see Abraham doing it too, but you see that phrase, and they, and they begin to call on the name of the Lord. And what they're doing is they're just looking back at that promise, and they're saying, God, 
come back mm -hmm. and restore to us what we lost. And so, yeah. you know, it's so funny to watch the time, you know, the, the, we know that this promise is coming through a seed. And so, so some of the things that we see that reflect the importance of that is this genealogies, you know, there's, there's, there's a clear genealogy of the seed, right? We get, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're reading through the Bible, you're like, why are all of these names here? And, and, and the reason is because they're tracing mm -hmm. this promise. And, and you see things like, um, little things like the fact that my, my son Carter has this poster on his wall and it's, it's a Bible timeline. And, and it, and it kind of shows you events through history based on the years of, of how old, you know, you know, Noah lived so many years. And, and, and what it does, it lets you overlap and see like who was alive at the same time. And what you come to find out was, is that Noah and Abraham are like one generation removed. You know, they're like in the Bible, it seems like all these descendants, but in fact, when you look at their age, so like, when Abraham hears this promise, mm -hmm. it's a very likely that he he was aware of proto-evangelism. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. he's 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 aware of the Genesis three fifteen promise, and so when he's hearing that from God, he is hearkening back to the garden, and he's saying, "This this this seed that's coming through me is the one that um, was promised to my." great, great, great yeah. grandfather, Adam. Yeah, I think, I think that's really good. I think sometimes we have this tendency to think of, uh, you know, the early characters in the book of Genesis as like Neanderthals who didn't really think very, you know, it's like, oh, these are just cavemen that didn't really understand anything. But you know, it's amazing, even going all the way back to Adam and Eve, they, they had this expectation. God gave them this promise. There's one coming. Don't worry. This is going to be undone. And what's crazy is you look at the descendants of Adam and Eve, uh, you know, you have Cain and Abel, and you got to wonder, like, was Eve looking at her two sons going, I wonder which one of them it is. Right. I wonder which one of them. And we all know how that story goes, right? Cain is a head crusher, but he crushes the wrong head, kills his brother. And then you see Eve has another son. You, you can read about this in Genesis chapter four, but, um, you know, she has this other son and she names him Seth. And the word Seth literally means appointed. And she says, I'm going to name him Seth because God has appointed me another son. It's, you almost get this sense of longing in her that like, maybe this, maybe is, this the is the appointed one. This is the one, you know. And so there's this longing in the heart for things to be restored. People are calling on the name of the Lord. Abram is calling on the name of the Lord. Um, and I, th I think understanding the proto-evangelium, understanding that there's this hope in the human heart from the earliest times of like, God's going to restore. It gives us um, a context to understand those three promises that were given to Abram. And so you remember in my sermon on Sunday um, that we see three different promises that God gives Abram. And we saw that it's not just in one place. God says it in Genesis 12. He says it in Genesis 15. He says it in Genesis 17. Um, but the promises, actually, we're going to do a little pop. Anybody want to take a stab? Anybody remember what the three promises are? Anybody brave enough to unmute? How about the... Go ahead. Yeah. How about the uh, the land, the the seed, and the blessing? Boom, Michael Hayden. That's my boy. I'm proud of <laughs> you, dude. Yeah. It's like he, he God God comes to Abram. He says, "Hey, I'm going to give you this land, this specific land. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you your seed. Is going to become a great nation." 
and I'm going to bless the entire world through your offspring. Now, I'd love to, can you just for a second talk about how, how does understanding God's original promise in Genesis 3 set the stage for understanding this promise that God lays out for Abram? Well, I mean, all of those things in some form or another were things that were, were lost, you know, from the garden, you know, the, to begin with the land, you know, the, the garden of Eden was, uh, the, the Adam and Eve was thrust out of the garden of Eden. And, and there's actually an angel with a sword guarding so that they, they, they could not take the, the tree of life. Um, you know, that God told Adam and Eve from the beginning, be fruitful and multiply, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so, and, and, and they were always meant to be priests, like representatives, co-laborers with God that, that blessed the world with God's ways. And so all three of those things, the mandate of, of a place that is holy, a, a family that is holy, and a blessing to the world that mm-hmm. is holy has been was removed from them. And all of a sudden God is saying, this is how I'm going to restore it. Yeah. I'm going to do it through this family. And again, what what it's touching on, and I think the thing that we have to grab hold of in the same way is, is this, this tie to restoration, you know, that, that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were promised a, a, a restoration. Mm-hmm. And that is at the, at the, the core of, of what it, of the gospel message mm-hmm. is that God is going to make everything right. And that's at the core of faith. It's like, there is a coming seed. There is a seed that is making all things right. Mm-hmm. He's making us holy. And we, we know who that seed is, you know. Um, at this time, we're just slowly, God is slowly, just bit by bit, giving the story of redemption. And the first thing we know is Abraham's coming. Yeah. And what I love, you know, as I've been even prepping for this Sunday sermon, guys, God, God is an incredible storyteller. I don't. I know there's some Tolkien fans here on the call, you know, Lord of the Rings and all, all that. And it's like, man, Tolkien's an incredible storyteller, but he can't hold a candle to the Lord. I'm just telling you, the unfolding of this story that we're trying to dive into each week is just, it's, it's magnificent. God is incredible. And so one of the things I love, you know, is that he starts the whole story with a seed, the seed of Eve. And what we're going to see as we continue through this, we've already started to see this a little bit, is that the seed is starting to sprout and grow. And as the seed grows, it starts it starts little, it gets bigger and bigger, more and more complex, more leaves, more branches, deeper roots. And we're going to feel that as the story unfolds. It's going to get more and more bigger and bigger. And kind of what we want to do tonight um, is, is look at how the the scriptures reveal that, that Israel's um, understanding of God their understanding of who he is and what he's doing, along with Israel's understanding that their hope for the future, so their understanding of God and their hope for the future are inextricably tied to God's faithfulness and his ability to fulfill the promise to Abraham. So this this promise to Abraham becomes foundational for Israel to understand both who God is and why they should have hope in him. And so we're going to take a look at a few scriptures um, that kind of show where this is true as you keep moving through. And um, we're going to be able to, we'll be able to pull some of these scriptures up on the screen. Um, we can also put them in the chat if you want to flip to them and look at them yourself. Um, and so, you know, one, one of the first places we see this 
uh, is in the Exodus story. So in Exodus chapter three, um, in Exodus chapter three, do we have that slide? Uh, yeah, I think so. is, is it in there? Um, it might be a little bit further down from the uh, Genesis slide. You know, Exodus chapter three, um, there it is, boom. So right, right there, we're gonna put this up on the screen here. Exodus chapter three, verse six. Um, this is Moses at the burning bush and God is gonna speak to Moses. And look what he says. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he's afraid to look at God. Um, and then he says, and then he gets, says, this is the same way I want you to reveal who I am to the Israelites. So God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so right here, what we see is the way God is going to reveal himself to Moses on the other side of uh, of slavery in Egypt and all these going to come to him and go, hey, here's how you can understand who I am. I'm that God who made that promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'm that God who promised the land. I'm that God who promised the offspring, the family. And I'm that God who promised to bless the whole world through your family. And so right there you go, oh man, that's, that's the anchor for them understanding who God is, what he's up to, what he's trying to accomplish. Um, now, if you keep moving through the story, uh, you know, a lot of you probably know the Exodus story. Um, what happens as, as Israel, they leave Egypt, you know, really unbelievable story. If you never read it, go read the Exodus story. Um, but one of the things that happens is we run in, there's another covenant that kind of comes in. Right. And, you know, I, I, I want to get to Deuteronomy 4, but I think maybe should we talk some about that? Yeah. How, how does the Mosaic covenant, so that's the word for the covenant that God makes with Israel through Moses at Sinai, how does that covenant differ from the covenant he gives to Abraham? Yeah. Well, I mean, first, what I love about that last scripture, too, is, is that you see God condescend and say, I'm going to forever tie my name to this, this father of the faith. He's like, forever I will be known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And like, it, it even harkens back to his original promise in, in, um, in Genesis 12, where he says, those who bless me, those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who mm -hmm. curse you, I'll curse. It's like, I am so tied to this family. Like my loyalty, my namesake is, is forever intertwined mm -hmm. with, with uh, being yeah, the God sure. of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, what, I mean, it's just kind of a crazy condescension really it to really think is. of God um, it, even already demonstrating a humility that he later fully develops yeah. when he takes the form of, of we, a human. And we lose the wonder of that because we know he, he's going to take on the form of a human born into this family that he's forever tied his name to. And we already know that. Like we know that right, right. we kind of know. So it sometimes it erases the wonder, but just to go, man, this God, the, the God is going to tie himself. And Abram, imagine being Abram, just being like, wait, to me, to my <laughs> family? Like, whoa. I mean, there's something, one of the things that I think we, we have to grow to appreciate through the course of the entire gospel of the kingdom is just how absolute concrete it is. Like Jewish expectation was physical and concrete. And, and even there's something about him being the God of this human mm -hmm. named Abraham that was just like you and me that, that brings him into 
like proximity to yep. us that that's not some God that's too far away. It's, it's the God of, of a plain old man named Abraham mm-hmm. that was really no, no different than any one of us. And I, I think when that kind of opens up in our hearts, we're like, Oh, he's, he's closer. He's closer than we think. Yeah. yeah um, really good. But with, with the Mosaic covenant. So, so when you see um, the Abrahamic covenant, you, you see this unconditional promise. It's, it's really unilateral. And if you remember from Aaron's sermon Sunday, um, God sets up, God and Abraham set up this covenant process where they, where they split animals and they walk through them. And, and essentially it's, it's, it's a, a ancient ritual uh, to say, if, if this covenant isn't fulfilled by you or me, then let us be like these animals. Let us be cut in half. And, and God puts Abraham to sleep and he passes through twice. And he's, he's basically making a covenant unto death and already just kind of saying, you know, I'm going to have to fulfill that one day. Cause, can, cause, can you say you passed through twice? Okay. So, so in the dream or blazing, trance, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you see two images come through a, a, a blazing, blazing torch, torch and a smoking fire pot. And yeah. both of those were, you know, uh, uh, representative of God passing through the covenant. Yep. And so Abraham never actually went through the covenant himself. Um, and so what you see there is this unconditional promise that Abraham is making. Um, and, he, and he calls it the everlasting covenant. And um, no expiration date. That's right. And so what we're seeing is this, I wrote it down, a, um, it was a unilateral and unconditional promise made by God to Abraham's offspring. Yep. Like this, I will fulfill this my name is at stake. You can, uh, you can count on it. And so we move forward into uh, the, to the Mosaic covenant and you have some contrast there. Um, You have Moses bringing the Israelites um, out of Exodus and at Mount Sinai, he, he brings Moses and the Israelites up to the mountain and he, and he basically makes an, a formal agreement with them. You know, uh, people much smarter than me, um, you know, have described this in a lot of ways to a, a, a Jewish wedding um, covenant contract. And, uh, and so what you see is this, uh, this covenant. And if you go to, um, I don't think I put the scripture in, but in Exodus 19, you see 19 verse uh, 5. Um, in Genesis. It's the next book after Genesis, Exodus. I'll read it while you're looking. Yeah, go ahead. Exodus 19.5. This is at Mount Sinai. The Lord says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then, notice that if then, a little very different language with Moses and with Abram. It's an if then. If you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to speak to the Israelites. And so he goes through this contract. And then at the end of it, um, in, in Exodus 24, verse 3, uh, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice. Like corporate Israel says, 
all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they are, they are saying, we are going to fulfill our end of this covenant. That, that I do moment. Yeah, of, it's, the of the wedding. I do. It's like Altogether, he proposed and they said, I do. And, um, and it's under the canopy of the cloud. You know, I don't remember what the, the Jewish. The chupa. Yeah, the chupa. Um, and so you have this moment where there is, a, you know, a, an, a, a covenant agreement. And with that, um, is is the introduction of the Mosaic Covenant, and so so it has tied to that this expectation that they are going to follow the 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 law or the rules laid out by God in order to to maintain righteousness. Yeah, yeah. So so this feel this could start to feel a little bit confusing because we go wait a minute. God just said, promised Abram, come what may, my name on the line. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what I say. But then he we get to the Mosaic covenant and there's this conditional kind of covenant there. Um, and so a lot of that brings into a lot of questions. I was like, well, are there conditions placed upon God's faithfulness to Israel? And so, you know, in, in Deuteronomy four, we find kind of a, an example of where God speaks into this. And um, I don't, do you want to you unpack this? Show me too. So, um, so in, in Deuteronomy four, you have Moses talking uh, to the Israelites and um, and I'm going to read it from my Bible set from the screen because I know where it all is. But um, what verse did you start with? Here? 25. Yeah. Uh, so in verse 25, uh, Moses is laying out some of the conditions for the Israelites uh, once they come into the promised land and they take possession of it. And this is kind of what he says. After you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day, and you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing into the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Now, you, you, read, you read this and you go, Wait, that doesn't sound everlasting. It doesn't sound like there's no expiration day. What happened to all this everlasting talk? And it can feel like God's going back on his word. Um, but what I love is God's not finished speaking. And so if you keep reading in Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 29, it says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And when you are in tribulation and all these things have happened to you, listen to this, then in latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you. Listen to this, or forget the covenant he made with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. And so what you see happening here is, again, the understanding, Israel's understanding of God's faithfulness is always connected to the Abrahamic covenant. Mm -hmm. He says, hey, listen, if you obey me, I'll let you live in the land. But if you don't, I'm going to kick you out. But I will not forever remove you because I will honor my commitment to Abraham. He says, in the latter days, it's this really this kind of this future oriented promise. And we see this happen. We see it happen both when Israel is exiled. Um, but, but even after the exile, there's still this longing, even a lot of the post-exilic prophets will talk about, hey, there's coming a time where God's going to bring his people back. And it's this forever, non-expiring promise to establish them in the land. Right. That phrase, the, the latter days, again, I've, I've heard a number of teachers and, and, you know, people, uh, 
that are, are much wiser than me, you know, use the Hebrew language, but it's, it's a specific phrase that is often tied with what we would call eschatological themes. And eschatology is just mean, mean is like a fancy word to say the study of the end, but, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's a specific Hebrew phrase that is looking towards kind of the, this ultimate fulfillment. And, 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 and again, what it's hearkening back to, to me, again, is this promise in Genesis three. Mm-hmm. It's saying there is a day coming where I'm going to make everything right, and um, and and it was Israel's understanding, and so so what we see in this moment in Genesis or in, in um, Deuteronomy four is that that God is saying that if you don't keep this Mosaic co- uh, covenant, then there will be a temporary removal from the land, and and we know from. Uh, our biblical history that, that that happened, right? We see the Babylonian exile. And so we know that they were removed from the land, but then they came back into the land. So, so did that fulfill this promise? You know, that's, that's the, the logical conclusion. And I think what, what, um, and, and it is, and it is a way that some people do see that, you know, mm-hmm. is that, that, that promise of coming back into the land after the Babylonian exile mm-hmm. was the fulfillment of this. Yeah. But um, what we see throughout the prophets are, like you said, like Zechariah, mm-hmm. uh, most notably, um, just this still hearkening to this future expectation mm-hmm. that um, demonstrates the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant. Because one of the things that when you look at the Abrahamic covenant, and, um, and, and we touched on this, I think, with, um, in your sermon, but in uh, Genesis 12, it says he promises descendants, right? The seed. Mm-hmm. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. That, ter- that word bless is, is completely tied to righteousness. Hmm. It's like, there's no real blessing without righteousness. And so um, it harkens back to that time in, in uh, Genesis one, where, where, where God says, where he blesses Adam and Eve, and then he calls everything very good. And so what we're seeing is that the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, not just, um, doesn't just involve being in the land, but it involves a, a holy people completely given to God mm-hmm. and, 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 and then being uh, essentially the disciplers of the world yeah. through uh, 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 being a righteous people. And so, you know, there is the, there are a lot of different views as to what, you know, what that means. And, you know, our personal view is, is more that the Abrahamic covenant is still a is, is primarily a future, um, a future fulfilled covenant. Yeah. So and, and so this is this is controversial, um, and we want to name that. And some of you are going, "This doesn't sound." I've never thought about this in my life, and that's okay. It's like it's 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 good. It's how we're digging into some of this stuff. So, but some of you have thought about these things. You know, this idea of the land of Israel. You know, a lot of people would say, well, no, the, the Deuteronomy 4, this idea of I'm going to kick you out of the land, but I'll bring you back. That was fulfilled after the exile. And that was that. Um, there's some problems with that, you know, that God told Abram, this, I'm giving you this land as an everlasting possession. 
And so they come back from exile into the land, but then later they are kicked out of the land again. So in AD 70, the temple is destroyed. In AD 135, Rome finally just packs up all the Jews and exports them, carries them in exile out of Israel again, and they will not inhabit the land again for until 1946, 48? 1948. Uh, Israel, the Israel does not possess that land again. So a lot of us today, we go, oh yeah, Israel is this place, this nation in the Middle East, we know that it's there. But did you know that, that was not the case until 1948? That really, it's almost like we can see Deuteronomy 4 being fulfilled even in like our parents' lifetime. Some of you might have been born in 1948. Sorry to throw shade on you and make you feel old, but most of you probably were not. You know, that, that really, it's like, man, we're going, oh, it's like he's doing that again. Now, this is very controversial. Um, and there's a lot of people that go, no, 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 that's not what's happening anymore. Um, but what we're just doing is, man, it's important that we wrestle with these things as followers of Jesus. It's in the word of God. It's important that we think about, like, what is God doing? And is his promise to Israel, is that connected to the gospel of the kingdom? Is it not? And what do we do with it if it is? Because we proclaim this gospel of the kingdom all the time. So is that somehow connected to the people of Israel still? Is it connected to what he's going to do in the future? Is it connected to the land right now? You know, I think Corey and I, are, we would say, yes, it is connected. But there are, there are a lot of questions around that for a lot of people. Um, you know, to, to give you some more context for that, um, of why, why I, I feel pretty strongly about that, Psalm 105. Um, Psalm 105 is, is, is a great picture of this. Um, I'll start reading in verse 8. You know, this is... Uh, is what it says. He, talking about the Lord, Psalm 105, verse 8, he remembers his covenant forever. No expiration date. The promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. Again, he said it to Abraham, said it to his son Isaac, said it to his son Jacob. To Israel as an everlasting covenant to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion that you will inherit. Um, you know, it's like, I read that and I go, man, that sounds like a forever thing. And if God's going to change his mind on what forever means to me, that calls a lot of things into question, um, about some of the promises made yeah. me that I'm kind of counting on, you know, but. And one of the places where this gets really sticky is clearly like, you know, there is a lot of political controversy over the current nation state of Israel and understandably so. And so. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think we want to portray that what what we see today as the nation state of Israel is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy four. Right. I mean, they they have been regathered into the land, but the other components of that promise to Abraham of being righteous and being a blessing, a blessing yeah. Not you know, they're you know, I mean, you have to be careful with 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 how you carry Israel in your heart. I think you see that, you know, all throughout scripture and you see that with the way Paul carries them specifically. Um, but at the same time, I think there's clearly enough evidence that, that they, that, you know, they're, they're a fallen country, just like every other country. And if anything, they have the anger of the majority of the world uh, uh, because of, of what, um, you know, of, of perceptions of what's going on there. So, mm -hmm. so we don't want to give that impression at all yeah. that we're saying, um, you know, there is a, and I, and I, and I don't want to offend anyone, but there is a, a certain kind of identification with Israel right now that I think, 
you know, sometimes may have make you have an aversion, you know, just kind of a Israel can do no wrong and um, kind of an association with a certain political leaning. And, 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 and really, we're, we're, we're not talking about Mm-mm. the current nation state of Israel. What we're talking about is covenantal. Yeah. The covenantal Israel, the family um, of Abraham, the family of Abraham, and this belief that tied to the restoration of all things is still this promise to Abraham. Because if you read actually in, um, I think it's Genesis 17. Can you go back to that? I think this is just so wild. Um, and I will uh, let me see. Oh, where'd you go? I lost it. There it is. Um, Starting in verse 6, Genesis 17. And I will establish, I'm, I'm looking for I, verse 8. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And we see specifically in Hebrews 11, that Abraham never received the promise to yeah. him. And so... You see Abraham, you see Isaac, you see um, Jacob, you see Joseph, every one of them. Have you ever wondered why they had an absolute preoccupation with having their bones buried back in Israel? It's because at the core of their belief was that they were going to resurrect in the land that they were promised by their God. That that land was connected to that proto-evangelium that place where God's going to restore all things. It's, it's connected to that land. And so these guys are like, hey, don't bury me here in Egypt. Take my bones up there and bury me up there because I want to be a part of that. When it happened to Abraham you. had no owning of Canaan his whole time except yeah. one plot of land. Yeah. And it was his burial site. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to pay for, don't, he was like, he was, he was persistent. You can't give it to me. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. This is my land. <laughs> I'm going to buy it so you can bury me here. Yeah. And so that, when I resurrect, because that was his expectation. And you see his expectation of resurrection, even with the way that he um, was willing to bring Isaac to sacrifice. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the New Testament testifies, harkens, to, that. testifies to that. He was his understanding of the resurrection yeah. from the dead. Yeah. And so, again, that idea is controversial. And so that, that's, what, that's what we hold to and find that it's an important component of the gospel of the kingdom. Um, But I think that the main thing that I would want to take from it regardless is this concrete expectation of, of the future. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not this, this spiritual destiny. It's, it's dirt and trees. And and this, and this matters a lot because when when we, you know, we're talking again, all this is rooted in Jesus, Jesus going, Hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus shows up. He starts proclaiming this kingdom of God. And I'm going to unpack a lot of this in the sermon on Sunday. We're trying to go, what did he mean? And what did his hearers understand him to be saying? And what we see based on all the stuff that God's promised to Abraham, this was a very physical promise of a kingdom in a physical place. You know, and one of the things I said in my my sermon on Sunday was that, um, you know, that Israel's never actually possessed the entirety of the geographical markers that are laid out in Genesis 15. Now, Christian asked a question on the chat, you know, do you have a picture slide of the promised land boundaries? Is it modern Israel's boundaries? You know, the the reality is uh, this is, it's debated. And a lot of this stuff is debated, you know, so um, 
the, the most conservative picture of what the land that God laid out for Abraham that I've seen is still bigger than the kingdom of Israel at the height of David's reign. It's also bigger than the modern you know, nation of Israel. Um, but some people, it, it really gets problematic when a, I'll say this, when a, a Western Christian creates some slide that has a picture of the promised Israelic, Israel, Israelite kingdom, <laughs> because what you get is, man, it causes trouble in, in the Middle East. Someone sees that and they go, man, these Zionists, they want to conquer every country. They hate everybody. They want to crush everybody. And, and so that's why you've got to be really careful, because in a lot of ways, what we're talking about is a story in the Bible. It feels like ancient history to us. We're going, oh, that's fascinating. Guys, this is still real life. This, this promise of Abraham impacts the lives of Jews and Muslims today, right now in the Middle East. And so it's like this talk of God coming to restore a land and bring peace. It's like, this is not theoretical. This is still the longing of the Jewish heart. Now, they, they, you know, they, they're still longing for the Messiah. Um, they, they've missed him. They don't understand him. And it's like, man, we don't hold that in arrogance over them. We go, oh, oh man. We want them to see him. We want them to see him. Um, so anyway, so, so this, this idea that the land was physically promised, they don't, they've never had the full extent of the land that God promised to Abram. Um, this picture of peace on every side, we'll see that. It's one of the things God promises David that we'll get into this week is this kingdom where no longer will there be nations all around you that are constantly trying to war you. We've never seen that in the history of Israel. And so all of these things just make us go, if these things haven't happened yet, and God said it's forever, what does that mean about the future? But what are the, and so we're just trying to stir up some questions to get us thinking. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at, at our time here. Do you, do you want to dive into probably the, going to Jeremiah here? I mean, one thing that we see, maybe we can see, first of all, when we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, you can start with Galatians there first. Um, you see that this reaffirmation of the uh, Abrahamic covenant, you know, and what Paul was saying. Um, I lost it again. Um, you, and you touched on this uh, briefly. Um, in, right. And go, to, go down to the, uh, the next one. One more. You see there, uh, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So kind of translate that. Yeah. What they're saying is, what, what Paul is saying is the law, that's a mosaic covenant. Mm -hmm. the, the, the mosaic promise, that if-then contractual, he says, does not annul the covenant ratified by God, the one who passed between the animals. And so in other words, what Paul is saying is, hey, the promise to Abraham was never nullified. Right, right, right. And if you even go up to verse 7, what I love here is that what we see is that the, um, the gospel is the means by which the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled to the Gentiles. That's what Paul is saying here. He says that, that the gospel was preached to Abraham before to Abraham, and, and in you shall all nations be blessed. And so right here, you know, this letter is to the Galatians, a, a Gentile church. And Paul is showing, you know, he's only touching on one component of the three parts of the blessing. He, because he, he's talking to the, to the church who it applies to. 
He's talking to the Gentiles when he says, in you shall all the nations be blessed. It's the, the third component of those three promises. Because mm-hmm. the first two were specific to, to, Abraham's, to family. Abraham's family. So you had the land and then you had the um, offspring. The offspring. Yeah. And then so you see that the gospel was the means by which all along in God's mind we get was that that the, the Gentiles would be blessed by Abraham's family. Mm-hmm. And then you see what that blessing actually entails in the next verse, uh, Jana. You see that, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, you know, that the nations would be blessed, might come to the Gentiles, the third component of the promise to Abraham, so that we might receive the promised spirit through the mm-hmm. faith. Like, his promise, like we didn't know this in 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 in, in uh, Genesis twelve, yeah. but the promise was that this third part of the promise to Abraham, where where the blessing goes to the Gentiles, is going to come in the form of the indwelling Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and we see that now when we go into the new covenant, mm-hmm. like that is actually the mechanism for the entire blessing is actually that God would be with us. So we want to get into the new covenant here because I think this is really important. Jesus, you know, he, he identifies himself with the new covenant, you know, at the Lord's Supper. So we're going to talk about what happens there. I'm, I'm going to, I'll preach on this some, uh, even this week. Um, but, you know, I want, I want you to talk about Jeremiah 31. But before we do that, I want to read, I just want to read a passage again. I read this. And again, some of this is like, I'm, I'm reading it and things are jumping off the page at me. So I hope what happens to you as we go through this series, there, there's key things that you're going to notice when you start reading the Psalms, you start reading the prophets, you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, you know, all the prophets, what you're going to start noticing, Ezekiel, is there's all this talk of the land. Like it's everywhere. It's all over the place. It was so central to the Jewish hope. It was connected to their understanding of who God is and what God's doing and what he's going to do. Um, you know, I read this the other day, Isaiah chapter 51. I don't think we have a slide for this one, but um, listen to these verses from Isaiah 51. And this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. He says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were cut. Hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man. And I blessed him and made him many. So, hey, remember the promise. Remember the promise. Look at verse 3. The Lord will surely comfort Zion. Guys, Zion was the name of the mountain on which the temple of the Lord stood in Israel. So it's a place, a physical place in Jerusalem. He says, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her, um, he will make her deserts like Eden. Her wastelands, like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. And so you see this place where through Isaiah, he's hearkening back to the faithful promise made to Abraham, all that God said he was going to do. And then he goes, hey, it, you know, Zion may be lying in ruins right now, but here's what I'm going to do. Here, I'm going to restore it. It's this, this hope of restoration, this promise of doing something, restoring it like Eden. Uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Absolutely. So you want to talk about new covenant? Yeah. If you pull up Jeremiah 31. uh, And so what you'll see here is the, you know, we we're so familiar with the new covenant. And one of the things that if you were like me, when I, when I was growing up, you know, growing up in the church, um, the new covenant and the old covenant was kind of like almost the new Testament and the old Testament. And, um, 
or all of the covenants of the Old Testament versus Jesus being the new covenant. And, um, but in fact, what you'll see right here is the new covenant um, was very, very specific. Um, and so in Jer Jeremiah 31, it says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, you know, Jesus references that, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the, the, Mos the Mosaic covenant. So he's, he's contrasting the new covenant with the Mosaic covenant. Not with the Abrahamic covenant. But he starts with, I will make a new covenant with who? The house of Israel, the house of Judah. Already, these are a covenanted people. And then he says, the new covenant won't be like the one I gave, gave my covenanted people in, in the wilderness. Right. You know, it's going to be something different. I mean, and, and so when we think about the new covenant, I mean, when you actually read the new covenant that is being referenced by Jesus and Paul and um you know, they, they're referencing Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 38 um, or Isaiah, where, where the new covenant is, is, is being talked about. And, but, but what you're seeing here is that every one of the references of the new covenant is actually to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And Which stings a little bit for us, because we always think, no, the new covenant, that's, that's about us Christians. Right. It's about Gentiles, right? Like, right. And I mean, I think when I saw this for the first time, I was, I was somewhat shocked that there's not really, you know, you, you actually don't see any mention of Gentiles in when the Old Testament talks about, about the, new, the covenant. new covenant, right? And Jesus institutes the new covenant with a group of Jewish men, right? right? Exactly. Like so it's it's always spoken to the Jewish people. And, and and you actually see this played out in in Acts, right? We just read Acts and you see these like this moment where um Cornelius and his crew all get the Holy Spirit and they're like their minds are blown. <laughs> Wait, the new covenant is clearly being poured out here on Cornelius. He's not a Jew. Um, I know my Old Testament scripture. This doesn't make sense. And then you see it again in Acts 15, where they're all getting together and they're like, well, they must, they, they have to become Jews. You know, they have to be circumcised because the, you know, that's, that's what, you know, we don't, we don't understand this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so, you, so you see this first, this Jeremiah passage, if you pull that back up, you know, at first, the first, the first thing you see is that it's made to um, specifically to Israel and Judah. So, so we can't, so we don't spiritualize it too much. You know, I think God brings a little more clarity, you know, I mean, it's not just the house of Israel, but the house of Judah, you know, it's very distinctly an ethnic uh, uh, view there, not like the Mosaic covenant, um, which Israel, my, my husband broke or my, my, my spouse, my bride, yeah. my bride uh, keep going. And then you see, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so again, he is referencing Israel and Judah here. Mm -hmm. We have, I mean, as far as I know from history, we have never actually seen this, this happen. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if this is the, the new covenant, we have not seen the house of Israel and Judah all know their Lord mm -hmm. from the, from the, the, the all know me. You know, no more teaching needed. No more like, let me explain to you what God is like. It's like suddenly everybody just knows. I mean, this is, this is the picture we see at the end of Revelation. 
Right. But it's not, it's not anything we've seen in history, a moment where he says, they'll all know me and I'll be there with them always, you know. And, and so then you, you get a clue of what this new covenant will look like. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. It's, you know, he's not necessarily referencing the spirit of God yet, but what he's saying is that it's, it's going to be internalized. It's going to be within them. And we know, you know, we get more clues later with Ezekiel and, and, and we know because of, you know, the, the, the indwelling Holy spirit, what this means, Yeah. but, but he's referencing the indwelling. He spirit. is. And I don't know. Can we look at Ezekiel 36? Do you mind? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Go ahead. Wait, wait, one, one, go, keep, keep going down. Sorry. And so then in, in uh, 38 through 40, right after he makes this covenant first though, he makes two oaths. God makes two oaths. He's like, you know, the sun and moon won't stop. You know, I can't remember them exactly. He says, if the sun ever stops, if the sun and the moon ever stop doing what they do, then I'll break this covenant. Right. And then he does another one. There's like, there's two oaths in a row. He's like, this is how serious I am. I'm going to swear on two things. And then following that, he, he, he basically describes in really concrete ways the, the rebuilding yeah. or the restoration of Jerusalem. And at the very end of it, he says, it shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. So it's very hard to separate the new covenant, the, the complete fulfillment of the new covenant without the complete salvation of Israel and the restoration of Jerusalem. God's promise to Abraham. Right. And so it's, it's hearkening back again to the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is a, uh, you know, so we, we, but we're like, but no, the new covenant has already happened. But, but what we see Paul throughout, you know, Paul calls the Holy Spirit a deposit guaranteeing, guaranteeing the inheritance. inheritance. So it's, it's this idea that we weren't expecting, but the Holy Spirit being poured out was a fulfillment of the new covenant in part. But the complete fulfillment, if you read, Isaiah or Jeremiah 31 literally is yet is is, mm -hmm. is implying mm -hmm. that it has yet to completely mm -hmm. be fulfilled. Yeah. So in Ezekiel yeah. 38 gives us a little more. Yeah. So Ezekiel Ezekiel 36, you know, yeah, 36, and, and sorry. Lucas, I see your comment there and I'd love to jump into that. And I want to encourage all if you have questions, now's a great time to start posting those so that we can kind of field some of these. Um, I don't want us to go too long, but I would like to even dive into some of the questions here. But you know, Ezekiel 36 is this place. That we often, I don't know if this one's on there. Yeah, I'll just read it. Um, Ezekiel 36 is this place that we often go to when we start looking at the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I, I've preached on this. I've heard it preached. And it's an amazingly beautiful, um, beautiful uh, passage. I'll just start in verse 24. You'll hear some, sounds reminiscent of Deuteronomy 4, what, what Moses said to the Israelites. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. He's talking to Israel. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now I've I've read that. I've taught that so many times. I even until until recently in my life, I had those verses underlined and then I'd stop. And then you get to verse 28. He says, then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will save you from all of your uncleanness. 
Um, he starts talking about the fruitfulness and all they're going to experience, no more famine. And so it's this incredible moment where we go, oh, this thing about the promised Holy Spirit also talks about the land, also talks about Israel in the land, giving some of that. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a whole, whole lot there. And I understand, I know some of you are probably reading this and going, this, this, is, this sounds crazy. Like this, what? And hey, totally get that. And we want to provide space. And like Corey and I said, um, there's a lot of different understandings and beliefs about what all of this means. We're sharing some of our beliefs and what we believe um, the, the Bible is revealing about what God wants to do in the future, about his heart for the nation of Israel, his heart for us as, as the recipients of blessings. We've been the recipients of those blessings um, because God brought Jesus through the nation of Israel. Um, and so we're, we're throwing this out to keep going to the deep dive. And if this is making you scratch your head, keep digging. Just keep asking the Lord. Jesus is so faithful. He's told us, you know, if we ask, you know, we'll receive, if we seek, we will find. He says it very clearly, seek first. This should be our first priority. Seeking after the kingdom, understanding God's heart for his kingdom and why it matters so much. So, um, you know, Lucas, I see you're, do you want anything else before? Yeah, I mean, I, think, I think one of the things that we have to fight for is, you know, what is this, act, how does this, what does this matter? You know, I think that's one of the questions that Aaron and I have been asking ourselves um, is, you know, why, why does it matter, you know, especially when, with respect to, you know, even bringing Israel into the picture. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think understanding the redemptive story of God is, you know, you know, when we're adopted into a family, you know, we, we, it would be, it would, we want to know that the family that, that we're a part of, we want to know the, the big story. You know, we have an adoptive daughter and, you know, if she were to come into my family and, and take my namesake, but never really know me or, or know our family, it, it really wouldn't, there would be a, a disconnect, right? Mm, yep. And so there, there's an element of just understanding the redemptive story that's important with respect to just knowing God. Um, another reason is the story itself is the knowledge of God. You know, mm. it's it's de a demonstration of the faithfulness of God. You know, you know, he like we we prayed at the beginning. You know, His name and His word He exalts above all things, and these promises to Abraham, you know, He swears on His own self to fulfill, and. You know, his faithfulness to those promises allows him, allows us to believe he's faithful to us and all promises. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there's a, there's a, a connection there. Yeah. Um, and our hopes are bound up in this, this story. And so mm -hmm. that's why it's important for us yeah. to understand it's glorious. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and I know, um, Lucas, I'm going to keep saying your name. I'm going to address your question here in just a second, dude. Um, I, I want to name something real clearly. If some of you are going, man, I don't, I don't know if I believe this and that's okay. Like, you know, what's crazy is we've actually been discussing this a lot. Our teaching team, our elders, we've been having this and, and we're still wrestling through, it. you know, we're still going, Hey, what do we do with all this? Like these are, these, this is different. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing some of this, Corey's seeing some of this, we're, we're talking about it and several others. And, 
And, and honestly, we're not even all first, like we're going, okay, what do we do with this? How do we handle it? And so we're, this is just like any other controversial teaching in a lot of ways. We're holding it out to you. And what we're asking of our church family is, man, let's dig into the word with open hearts, open hands. And let's ask the Lord to lead us together and wrestle with this. What is he saying to us out of the texts? Um, you know, Lucas, that's what I see you doing already. Lucas is going, man, wait a minute, Acts 1, 6 through 8. Like, here's some scriptures. I understand this. So I'm gonna, let's, let's look at Acts 1 real quick. Um, Acts 1, 6 through 8, just to set the context of what's happening here. This is after Jesus is resurrected. Um, and he is meeting, he's hanging with his disciples. So, you know, you, you actually kind of need to back up a little bit before you read verse 6. Uh, you need to read verse 3. Um, so verse 3, it says, After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. In other words, he's going, hey, guys, not a ghost. I'm really here. I rose from the dead. Check it out. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Does that promise is equal 36, promise of the Holy Spirit? Jesus talks about it a lot in John chapter 14, 15, 16. Um, he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him. This is where Lucas' question come from. They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, Lucas, I think I understand your question because I've asked this question a lot of times to myself. It's like, hey, the disciples, they still had some kind of idea that, that Jesus was talking about this Davidic kingdom, this promise from the Old Testament. It seems like they're still kind of missing it that he's having to correct them. And he says, no, 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 guys, you're still missing it. Let me get it. And, you know, my, my issue with that understanding is, is verse three, really, that Jesus spends 40 days with the disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. And when they ask him, are you now going to restore it? He does not correct them. He does not rebuke them. He doesn't go, you idiots, you're still missing it. He just says, hey, the time of that is not for you to know. Right now, you're going to be my witnesses of this kingdom, starting right here to the ends of the earth. And what we're starting to see is the opening of this blessing to all nations through Jesus Christ, the proclamation of his death, burial, resurrection, and the hope of his return in glory. And that's their gospel message. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to be my witnesses to this gospel message. And so I, I think I, I have a... It's hard for me to say that that verse disagrees with this idea because it would assume that either for 40 days, the disciples weren't listening very well, or Jesus wasn't teaching it very clearly, um, or that, you know, somehow they're still missing it. I think he did not correct their Jewish expectation. He just said, hey guys, you, the time is not for you to know. Right now, you're to be my witnesses of, of this gospel, starting here, emanating to the ends of the earth. Yeah, I think so. I, I, let, let Lucas, let's let Lucas chime in here. Sorry, I wasn't very clear with my question. Oh, I, I, I didn't spend I, all that time answering the wrong question. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you talked about the right thing. I just, I, those are two different thoughts, and I wasn't very clear. The Acts thing I was saying, I thought was really cool because of the expectation y'all were talking about. And even after he came back, 
that's like their first question is like, is now the time? Like, is now the time? And he still told them, you're not supposed to know when, which I thought was kind of not funny, but like interesting that Abraham didn't see it. They didn't see it. We haven't seen it yet. And he didn't say, well, it's coming. I mean, like he just said, not telling you, you know, and I just, it's applicable to me and a lot of different things in life. Like there's just some things he's not spelling out. So, but I thought it was cool. Their Jewish expectation on the kingdom. Like that was their first big question. Like is now the time, you know, still, but the, the second part was more about all the, the passages y'all were talking about with Israel and like placing the law on their hearts, you know, um, and some of those covenant things, I guess my question had to do with like, do you see duality in that sometimes that yes, it's literally true for Israel and those things are literally coming, but also there is a spiritual truth to that that does apply to the broader bride who's believed in Jesus. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of this, um, I think some of this goes into even with Chris's question uh, that he's posting about the new covenant and even Christina's a little bit, you know, so there's kind of this confusion of like, wait a minute, the new covenant was made just to Israel. Has it not happened yet? What does that mean for us as Gentiles? And guys, to be clear, Jesus instituted the new covenant. He made that really clear. He says, hey, guys, this is the new covenant of my blood and of my body. You know, he took he took kind of that that symbol of Passover. He says, I'm the fulfillment. I'm the lamb. I'm the Passover lamb that was slain for you. Like lays it all out. Here it is. The outpouring of the spirit is this sign that, hey, the new covenant is being like Jesus has gone, hey, I've, I signed my blood on this new covenant. Um, but there's still a waiting, an eager waiting. And this is why, what, what Lucas just said, this is why the disciples said, oh, man, we're seeing, you, you told us new covenant, you signed it in your blood. You, you raised, said you're going to pour out the Holy Spirit. You said the Spirit's coming. You raised from the dead. They're like, this is it. Like, come on, bring it. And Jesus goes, no, no, you don't need to know about the time. Like, don't, don't worry about it. And so, so, um, you know, Messianic Jewish friends follow the Mosaic Covenant. Yes, that, that's that's often why they will do that, is they think, oh, we're still under. Now, Messianic Jews are Jews who believe that Jesus is Messiah. Now, there are many, and I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to get too far into this, but there are many there are many Christians who kind of end up becoming Christians who want to start observing the Torah, and I think that's really dangerous. Like the, the Apostle Paul has so much to say about the freedom we have in Christ. That's the whole point of the Acts 15. Yes. Account. When they meet in Jerusalem, when we studied Acts last month, they're meeting in Jerusalem going, hey, do we need to require all these Gentile Christians to start following all the laws of Moses? And clearly the answer they concluded that the Lord led them to was no. Like, we have freedom in Jesus, which is amazing. We Gentiles, and this is, this is why it was so offensive, we Gentiles get somehow to inherit this promise to Father Abraham without the burden of the Mosaic law? Like, it's scandalous to the Jewish mind, but it's, it's amazing. And so this is how the New Covenant applies to Gentiles. It was promised to the Jews. And then when the Holy Spirit is poured out, it's poured out on the Jews and the Gentiles. And now we are receiving, we become co-heirs of all the promises that were made. We have this huge inheritance, this huge inheritance. And, and we were grafted into that, is what Paul will say in Romans 11. We're grafted into it with the Jews. So brought um, into the, like Ephesians 2, into the commonwealth yeah. of Israel. Yeah, Julie posted a great quote here for that. You know, Isaiah 49, 6, 
You know, this is where God looks at Israel and says, hey, it's too small a thing for my covenant just to go to Israel. <laughs> he says, he says, no, he says, you will be a light to the Gentiles. He said, I'm doing this whole thing through Israel so that all people, so that even the Gentiles will be able to see the goodness of who I am. Because the picture at the end, again, picture at the end of all things, is the restoration of what it was supposed to be like. God dwelling with his people, like his light, the only light that we need, you know, the restoration of Eden, the tree of life, whose leaves, the healing of the nations, all of these things. This, this is what we hope for and what we long for. And so, um, yeah, so, so I, I don't know. I'm, I can keep on talking for a long time. I don't want right. to. Yeah, I, I don't have any other. Are there other, other questions? It's 10 after nine. You know, my goal was, I knew I would never be able to finish in an hour because I just talked too much. And so I was like, man, if I can finish at 9.15, it'd be amazing. So it's 10 after. Uh, um, you see, Josh is, yeah, that, I, I totally agree, Josh. You know, the law was a grace and, 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 and we see that. Absolutely. Um, Israel, I mean, we see that Paul explicitly says, you know, that, um, you know, the reason that the law did not lead to righteousness is because they did not. They did not, it was not a matter of faith. They mm-hmm. thought it was the law that did yeah. themselves. So you're right. Uh, we see Galatians describe the law as a guardian, mm-hmm. you know, over over Israel. So, um, yeah, if anything, Jesus was he more <laughs> tied to the law yeah. than the Pharisees even. I mean, we kind of think of the Pharisees as this like, like, like hyper-religious. I, I think our, our view of the Pharisees are, is actually a little off. Um, Jesus was actually the more conservative, like person who upheld the law to the to the letter, and and even took it to the the, the actual intent of the law, which was the, the heart posture. And but but that's all. I mean, if you actually dig into the written law, you know, looking at Leviticus, you see the heart posture within it. So I think we 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 kind of throw the whole thing out because we. Like yeah. we have, we have separated the new and the old Testament, but really you're right, Josh, the law was, was a, a, a magnificent grace and guardian to the, um, yeah, we were to be to holy. We are to be holy as he is. holy. I mean, Jesus said, Hey, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, whew, I mean, they followed it. So Jesus held the law in very high esteem, very high esteem. It's really good. Um, and, and I see Christina's question. Christina just says, Hey, Lizzie, who'd like to read more about this, uh, can you recommend some materials to us? Anything come uh, on off the top of your head? I mean, uh, probably the most influential author that, that I feel like has kind of given a systematic biblical theology of this would be that, that Harrigan book. John Harrigan? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's pretty heady. Uh, it's, it's a it's a deep dive. <laughs> if you want, I mean, it's... But I, 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 I'm it, constantly going back to it. it yes. Yeah. It's just, um, it's, it's a little more scholarly than it is kind of just an easy read, but, and I think it'll make your heart burn. Yep. Yeah. And it's the, the gospel of Christ crucified is the name of his book. His name is John. Harry. That's the one just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's yeah. multiple other sources. Yeah. Feel free to shoot them up there. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and there's podcasts, there's a ton of, I mean, I tell you what, I'm going to hold off on offering resources right. because they have baggage. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage. I mean, you know, and this is why we need to do this in the church family. There's no perfect source, um, you know, except for this one. 
And, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep coming back to this. And what we're going to see is God, brothers and sisters across the Christian family, we have, we've wrestled with this book for centuries and we're still wrestling with it. You know, I love the name that God gives his covenant people is Israel it literally means struggles or wrestles with God. And this is what we're doing. We, we want to be a people who wrestle with the promises of God and how do we reconcile those with our current circumstances? Yeah. Have you ever felt that? Like, man, I hear God saying all these promises, but I look at what's going on in the world around me and it's like, oh man. I, I, right. I and, 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 I, and I think we both would like to just say, this is open for disagreement. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like we, we want to be a, a people that can have these conversations, disagree and like, disagree as brothers and sisters together. And, um, and there's room for that, you know, like we, we want, we want to, to, to do this process together. Yeah. And so yeah, uh, you, we don't want you to hear this as us saying, this is the way walk in it. Mm-hmm. We want, we want to invite you into this process with yeah. us. If you disagree, call Corey. He'd love to talk to you. If you've loved this, give me a call and tell me <laughs> how much you'd loved it. That'd be, that'd be awesome. You know what we were going to do? That's a good arranger. Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, I will say one, one more thing. What Julie just posted in the chat, I think is really good. And this is, Christina, this is actually what's happened with me is as I've, as I've started reading the Old Testament through this lens, things just jump off the page at me. And I will be honest, when, when this kind of idea was first, like, it's been a couple year journey for me that I've been diggling, digging, diggling. <laughs> I've been digging. Don't into, ever diggle. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to diggle. No diggling happening. Uh, the, these past couple of years, I've been digging into this. At first, I had a very guarded posture towards it because I was like, I don't know about this. Um, and, and the more I got, I, yeah, I just, I just kept, kept coming back to it. And really, the more I read the scriptures through this lens, things kept jumping off the page. And that's when it really started getting my heart. Um, so I, I can't encourage you to keep pointing you back to the word uh, on this. So good stuff. Love you guys. Man, hey, thank you all so much. We've stayed strong. I mean, 31 and stayed with us this whole time. You guys four. are noble Bereans. It's amazing. Love our church family. Um, I, I, who prayed at the beginning? You or me? You prayed my turn? All right. I'm, I'm going to pray to kind of end us out. We will be back again next week, um, this Sunday. Hey, will you guys pray for me? I'm going to pray for us as we end, but I really do covet your prayers at our church family. I, I am wrestling with the text. And I've, this sermon this week, it's it, there's so much that can be talked about. And I want to honor God. And I want to help us get into the, the scriptures and I want to make it to where it feels like it, it, it's actually applicable to our lives right now and means something to us. And so I covet your prayers uh, as I wrestle with this week's sermon, uh, kind of the promised kingdom. And so that's, that's kind of my selfish prayer request um, from all of you in the next, well, I'm, I'm recording this sermon tomorrow afternoon. So really in the next 24 hours, please be praying for me. I really appreciate yes, it. Been started yeah. yet. That's not true. <laughs> not true. All right, let, let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being just so much bigger, wiser, smarter, infinite. You are incredible, God. You know, we, we can't even begin to, to search the depths, the riches of your wonder, your wisdom, your might, and your power. You are faithful. You're steadfast. Lord, I pray, would you let your word just be planted deep within our hearts as a church family? Would you let it bear fruit in us? Would you... Lord, would you, um, would you really bind us together 
to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, that as we wrestle through the scriptures, you protect us from the enemy. I know he, he for Lord, we've seen so many divisions in the church over every and every kind of issue we can imagine. Lord, we want to be a people who are so bound by the bond of peace that we can wrestle in the scriptures and dig in together, Lord, and really, really see that you're uniting us. Lord, unite us by your spirit and give us wisdom and vision to be able to see, Father, what it is you have for us in this. I pray, Father, that this would just become a burning in our hearts as a people, as your people, that we would long to know you more and more and more and more and more. Lord, keep sending us back to your word and send us back to you and back to one another. Unite us, Father. We love you. Would you give us, Lord, right now, as we all end up our day, would you give us deep sleep? Give us joy-filled dreams. Um, and Lord, wake us in the morning with the word of your unfailing love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you all. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight. And I can't wait to dive in with you again next week.